0: Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and Inspirationista, Sherry Dunleavy. Hi everyone, Sherry Dunleavy, your Inspirationista, and today we're going to be talking about grief in a whole new way. Some of you who have been following my journey know that in another life, I was a television news anchor and reporter and left that career shortly after the death of our son, Brandon. It was a very challenging time in my life. Uh, grieving in front of the public eye, and so I thought, wow, this would be an interesting discussion with maybe someone else who has gone through it. And I've actually found a few other people who have gone through it, and they've been so kind as to uh, join me on the podcast. and And my first guest in this series is uh, a dear friend of mine that I met way back when. We're not going to say how many years ago it was, but. His uh, name is Ron Corning, and uh, currently he is in Dallas, Texas. He's been there for quite some time, has quite a resume in the broadcasting world, and has a couple of grief stories that uh, he is going to share with us. So first of all, I want to welcome you, Ron, for spending time with us today.
1: I'm happy to be here, Sherry, and and I appreciate you sharing your story, your journey, and, and doing the outreach that you do to help so many other people with a topic that, for whatever reason, we don't quite delve into enough. We're not transparent enough about it. And, it, it. and yet it's probably the most common shared experience among, among those of us, regardless of our differences, I think. Right. And
0: yeah. And I think that, you know, back when we knew each other, um, when we, we got to know each other, we were so young that it wasn't even on our radar, no. you know, and as you age, um, you know, people die. But what I find so interesting is that I feel, and I don't know, maybe you will agree or not, I want to know how you handle it, but when you're reporting the news, and we've reported some really terrible things, um, how do you separate that, the horrendous news of the day, and then go home and be wrong? There's some kind of like disconnect, I I would say, there was for me anyhow. How about you?
1: Well, it's interesting because I believe that part of my calling for this business was to be able to identify with people and their stories. And I brought much of my personal experience to the job. And that was experiencing loss at a young age at five years old when my grandfather, who had taken great part in raising me to that point, died suddenly on a Tuesday afternoon when I was five years old. And I remember it vividly, he'd walked up the street to a house that he uh, rented out and there was some work being done on it and he walked up the street. He'd been warned at 65 that he had congestive heart failure. And so he's 68 years old and by all appearances of great health, he walks up the street and he had a heart attack and he, he died right there. And I, my mother will tell you, would have told you, she's since passed, that she went through some soul searching to determine at five years old, should I be part of the visitation? Was this my beginning of understanding what loss and grief was? And the truth is the moment she came into the house after I'd heard the sirens and she was emotional, I kept saying, is it Papa, is it Papa, is he gone? Now, where did I come up with that notion at five years old that he could be gone in that way? But I just knew inherently what death was. It was very interesting. And I sort of lived with that early loss and coming to terms with it and brought a lot of that identifying with loss and grief to the stories that I told. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't until I was much older in 2016 that a friend of mine died tragically. And she also was in her own way a public figure. She was the Saturday morning food contributor at the station that I worked at here in Dallas. And with social media and the news of it spreading so quickly and people knowing how close we were, I found myself on the air the Monday morning after learning she had, she had died. She'd been murdered in a very tragic way. And I had been used to approaching families to talk to them about their experience of loss as part of a news story. And for the first time, I was on the receiving end of that phone call. This person is gone. She was murdered. And then I found myself on the air having to express to the audience what my experience was like in having known her and dealing with this sudden tragic loss. So I saw both of those worlds sort of cross over at once. It was a very humbling experience and it left me better understanding what happens when a family goes through such a tragic and sudden loss and they find themselves the subject of media attention. I I really understood it in a very different way. How did that change you? Well, I think all of those experiences just help us um, be more empathetic Mm -hmm. and understanding. And probably, you know, it's been many, many years since I've found myself directly in that position of being the unknown or maybe semi-known reporter who knocks on a door and tries to take a tactful approach to ask somebody to speak about something that is maybe even unspeakable. And I, I feel like it's just left me even questioning the merit of, of some of that reporting early on in my career and wondering, um, and almost guilty that I was part of it in, in a way. But having said that, I will also say, I always felt like I did, I did them justice.
0: Right. I, I feel that way too. Yeah, I feel that way that um, I was able to relate to them in a compassionate human way, mm-hmm. not the way that reporters are portrayed on TV, yes. you know, in the movies. Um, and so you understand that, but at the same time being on the other end of it, you can understand that intrusiveness of, well,
1: how do you think I am? <laughs> which, is, you know? which, is why, which is why not just as a tactic to hook them into talking to me, but, but really thinking to myself when given that assignment, what good can come of this? How can I use this platform in a positive way? And one such example is the death of a, of a young man who was home from the military during Christmas break, south of Missouri, was a subject of road rage, Got caught up in a road rage situation where a man was aggressive toward him. He got out of the car to try to calm the situation down and, and was shot. Um, while on leave. And I had to approach that family and the perpetrator had left the scene. And so really my intention was to have them tell their story in hopes that this person at large would see the coverage and maybe think twice about what he'd done and turn himself in. And it turns out that's exactly what happened. But I said to them, I want you to be able to speak to your son and put it out there because this story is public. People need to know who he was, what he meant to you, And they will see themselves in you and they might be inspired if they know something to come forward anybody related to this person and um it 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 came together in that way and there was a point when i announced i was leaving the station i got a thank you note and it was from that family thank you for being so kind thank you for helping tell our son's story and bringing this person to justice so i did feel like my intention was was good. The assignment was the assignment. How you handle it is the choice you make. And what you do with it and the intention really is important, I think. Let's talk about the
0: grief now um, from your perspective and moving through because you 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 lost your friend in a horrendous way. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more personally, um you had a journey with your mother. Mm -hmm. and with your mother you actually experienced grief twice yeah
1: there was a loss there were many losses and I'm gonna try not to get emotional (laughs) it's okay Uh, honey I was 14 years old when she had a massive head injury and it left her well at first the concern was she wouldn't survive and Boy, that takes a toll on a 14-year-old on a who suddenly their mother is, you know, incapacitated, in a coma, massive head injury. Um, we were visiting my uncle three hours from home in the middle of February uh, 1986, and she was 39 years old. She got up to use the bathroom and she took a wrong turn in the uh, on this in this ranch-style home that had a full basement, and the basement stairs were open and carpeted to a finished basement. And we don't know if she reached for a light switch to turn the hall light on or took a wrong turn, but she ended up at the bottom of those stairs and was probably there for a solid hour before my uncle found her. And he knew immediately that it was pretty, pretty serious. She was unconscious and labored breathing. And I was awakened to um, flashing lights outside the peephole basement windows where I was sleeping, just uh, outside that bedroom doors where she had landed. I didn't hear her fall. Paramedics were there. And that put into motion for us a very long journey back of multiple surgeries, an induced coma, coming out of the coma, still being unable to comprehend, unable to speak uh, on a feeding tube, a tracheotomy, that went on for several more months, transported to a a rehabilitation center for occupational therapy and physical therapy, and uh, other surgeries would follow later. She, she did turn a corner after about five months and began to be more verbal, began to be verbal and then more verbal. And then beyond that really defied the odds in many ways. So we were left with this interesting proposition and that is finding joy and finding the miracle born out of this tragedy while also wondering, well, why did this have to happen in the first place? Why am I counting blessings related to something that was anything but a blessing and a misfortune and shouldn't have happened in the first place. So as a teenager, I dealt with that a lot. And I thought i reconciled it by saying it could have been worse as as I made more memories with her. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I would say to myself in my head, I remember before the, you know, I would have a, a joyous memory of the two of us and it would always be before the accident. And then I began to reminisce about years later about our lives and I wouldn't be able to distinguish was that before the accident or after the accident which is really a milestone yes things began to be blurred so I knew that who she was the soul and heart of who she was was not lost and you could find happiness and peace in that and yet when she passed away in January of 2020 after having spent five years in a nursing home she was 73 when she passed away The totality of the loss and the trajectory of her life really hit me hard. Why did this woman's life have to be wrought with so many setbacks and so many limitations, all related to that first accident? So it almost came back in waves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm still working
0: through it. I would imagine, I would imagine so. And first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, That's, and for being so open and so vulnerable about that. And, and I understand where you are because you want to, um, you, you want to be grateful for the person that was your mother. But like you said, you know, she was, her soul was still whole and it still is. Even though she's not in the physical with us. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Do you feel your mom? your mom's presence around you?
1: Do you carry do. her with you? I do, I do. And I think that I'm a little less, I'm a little less, in, a lot less probably in that place of worried about decisions I make or if I'm at a crossroads, if I go this direction, this could be bad or this could be good. I just sort of in a, in a different place to go with the flow a little bit. And I don't know if that's because you know, her loss reminded me that life's too short. I don't know if it's because I feel a sense of peace that she's with me, um, or I may weigh some of what I can consider issues and problems against the life she lived and realize that you know even when I'm at a crossroads and I feel like I've got a difficult decision to make, at least I'm in a position to make decisions to do A or do B. And there were many times in her life she could only do what she could do. Wow. Limited, yeah.
0: So it, it looks like you, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of contemplating through this. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you this because you have a choice. And I think in grief, we always have a choice. Mm-hmm. You could have been the person who said, you know what? This was not fair. Not only did you, you know, she get her life ripped from her, you know, this beautiful life that she had ripped from her, but now she doesn't have a life at all. Like in the, the life that she had just, just wasn't fair, right? It just wasn't fair. And you could be angry and up, uh, upset about that um, and, and, and pitched a tent there. And rightly so, because it was unfair and she was shortchanged in a lot of ways, right? Um, And your anger would be justified, but it doesn't sound like that's where you're living. It sounds like you're choosing differently. It doesn't, you may visit there from time to time, but what is keeping you from staying there? What choices are you making that is moving you in the direction of hope, healing, and light?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I think it's just living and and doing what you can do and as much as you can do. And in my case, um, the more I forged ahead in my career, the more I was able to help create for her experiences. One of which, for example, when she reached a difficult time in her life in 1999, I knew she needed a reboot. I knew she needed to reset. I knew she needed some guidance and some help. She'd split from my dad. She'd She'd had a, an injury where she'd you know, broken her shoulder and that needed to heal and she needed some help she couldn't get in her small hometown. And I coordinated at you know, 28 years old, her to live in Seattle for six months in her own assisted living apartment. I set it up, I worked it out. And out of that, we had so much amazing quality time together where she saw insight into my world in my life that she otherwise wouldn't have had. She went back home, she was better for it for a longer period of time. She knew it, she thanked me for it. Um, And so how could I mire myself in some kind of woe is me when A, she's the one really dealing with the life change. I'm collateral damage, that's true. I'm a victim in my own way, but she's really at the core of loss, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I can facilitate new experiences, new memories and appreciate every moment, knowing that I have her as opposed to not having her, um, that enriches both of us.
0: What was your mom's name? Joan. Joan. She sounds like a wonderful, a wonderful mama. And she was still able to mother you. Oh, she was um, the best. Just in a different way. Would you she mind what? sharing?
1: She was, and she, you know, she could have been, she could have been so selfish and rightfully so in that she had to get on her feet. She had to learn how to walk and talk and read and write all over again and reclaim her life. And there's so much that early on she wasn't able to do. And, you know, motherhood was not something lost on her. It was the first thing to come back if 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 truth be known and she still had a sixth sense about me as much as she would be you know working toward goals of walking writing she would look at me in high school and say what's wrong what's happening something wrong and of course that's all it would take um and we had it's three totally developed that kind of relationship Mm-hmm. leading up to the accident. So as a preteen, she and I were really becoming friends in an interesting way and confidants with each other. And then mm-hmm. this accident happens and we, we were able to pick up where we left off. I did become her caretaker in ways that you know other 14 year olds are not, um, helping her learn to read, helping her learn to write, helping her with tasks around the kitchen, but in fundamental ways that really matter in terms of shaping me, forming me, um, offering me advice. She was still very present in all of that. How
0: did all that change you? And how did it form you into the man that you are today? I would imagine it made you very independent. It made you very strong. It made you an advocate of um, and understand other people's situations and troubles and that you don't always realize what's going on in someone's life Mm -hmm. and what they're going through. Um, Those are just some of the things that come to mind to me, but you tell me.
1: Oh, all of those things. And I think it's, it's even in my later years of, as you know, my parents' marriage didn't conventionally survive as accident. It it took its toll. And my, my dad um, could no longer be with her. And, and live with her and she needed to be on her own. And, and he ended up with somebody else and it was hurtful at the time. And yet he never abandoned her, was there with her. And, you know, at one point he was in the hospital having open-heart surgery, the longtime girlfriend of at that point, 16 years was there and, um, my mother hadn't really communicated with her, but for the sake of my father did and broke the ice on that front. And we sort of post 2010 in the last 10 years of her life became kind of a modern family where we accepted the dynamics of how things had, had shaken out. And for that reason alone, I try not in these situations where families are dealing with um, complex dynamics of people and relationships and personalities, I try not to judge. I try To say, listen, I don't understand it because I'm not in it. And when you're in it, you understand it more. Looking from the outside, looking in, someone would say, now that's the woman that his father was with when his mother was disabled and she's accepted that and he still cares for her and his girlfriend's okay. You know, it's nobody's business and we made it work. And um, we had to for the sake of the love that each of us had for each other in different ways. My father still loved my mother. She still loved him. I love him. I love her. We all have to accept, you know, a range of things that, that are born out of these tragedies. And, and it changes circumstances and it changes people's lives and where the dust settles and how it settles um, can sometimes be different than what we conventionally look upon as normal. And, and, and that's some insight.
0: Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is that, you know, we all had a choice in this matter and we chose love and we chose peace. And we do have a choice because, you know,
1: it, and you all
0: chose it, which is beautiful. And it took us a while.
1: I mean, it took me it took me, you know, a solid 10 years to to accept her, um, her daughter, who's an only child as well, accepted my father in less time and and that was forced by circumstances she had her first child and my father sort of became almost a second grandfather to her kids and so she brought down those walls a little sooner she and i've had many conversations about that process what it was like for her what it was like for me Mm -hmm. she didn't like that her mother left her father for my you know listen again I, i don't i'm not airing dirty laundry here i'm just telling you uh you know, it's no secret in the town where I grew up. It's no secret among the people I know. And and it's life as it happens. It's that simple.
0: It seems to me that one of the things that grief has taught you is that ex- acceptance is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And what now? What do yeah. I do now?
1: How do I operate like? now? What your new normal looks like? I can, you know, I can... Uh, sit around and daydream and talk about the what ifs. What if my parents, uh, what if this accident hadn't happened and what if they'd stayed together and would she have lived longer? And would they be together um, having new experiences as retirees and what would that life look like? And I can spend a lot of time painting that picture, but that's, you're, you're not living in that picture. You're living the life you have and the circumstances you've been dealt as best you can. And I think that's part of grief is accepting that. And this idea, we had this conversation on the show that I host here in in Dallas this week. And that is, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, no, what doesn't kill you didn't kill you. It may have injured you. You may be maimed in ways from it that are irreparable but you have to live with the limitations of that emotional injury or accept it, or understand it may not necessarily make you stronger, but did it make you better? Based on what? I don't know. Have I had a better life because of that loss? I certainly would never want to attribute a better life to something so horrific, but I definitely have been shaped by it.
0: But I think that it can open you up to opportunities for growth.
1: Yes. Yes. Maybe to come to some conclusion sooner in life than you otherwise would have. And is, is that, a, again, you know, you always hate to attribute a positive to such a negative, but, but that's the truth of it. I mean, has my life been shaped in positive ways? I certainly, if given the option, would go back in time and make sure that incident never happened. But that- None again, of us are
0: given not, that option.
1: Not an option. The only option is to look at where you're at And figure out how that has shaped you and be mindful of it. It probably shaped me in negative ways too that I'm not aware of and should be more aware of.
0: So, before we end our time together, um, let me ask you how do you carry the memory of the people from the past with you today? Your mother, your grandfather, your friend? Well,
1: I'll tell you that one of the ways, most recently, was, and I'm not a materialistic person in terms of, I don't, I don't, I I attach a certain amount of sentimentality to objects and things, Mm -hmm. but I don't surround myself with all of this stuff. I mean, you know, that that's, that's an issue too. People will hoard everything that someone they loved owned and had and get buried under it. I almost feel like they're burying themselves under the grief of, of the loss and not, attaching them because the stuff is the stuff. But I will tell you, in our living room, I have two things. I have my mother's stereo that my father bought her in 1963 that I grew up with and saw in only two other houses, the house I grew up in and the house we moved into after my mother's accident. And my grandmother's china closet with all of her china, which I've only seen in two places, the house I grew up in and in my mother's house, When she inherited it in 1995. And I flew to Maine and I rented a U-Haul and I packed it all up and I drove 2,200 miles with those things. Not because I couldn't afford to have them shipped but I wanted them in my care. And those are sitting here in this house and I look at it and I feel them and I feel their presence and I feel like it honors them. And I know it sounds crazy because it's just stuff but it's a little part of them. And it's sort of changed my outlook in in an interesting way. It kind of makes your
0: house a full circle home.
1: Yes, yes. And I've got, you know, my, I've got some kitchen utensils and a canister that says Jones kitchen, because I renovated this house after I sold her house. And I feel like some of that went into this house and it is her house in a lot of ways. And I was inspired by you know how I cook and what I do by my grandmother by my mother. So it's kind of a full circle thing. And she took so much pride in and loved her home so much that I wanted her to have a part of this.
0: Beautiful story,
1: Ron. Last any last words that
0: you'd like to uh, leave us with, and maybe even some advice that someone might be going through something similar to you, that maybe can help serve them as, as they're struggling, as they're struggling with the unfairness of, of what has happened?
1: Well, it's something I learned from you actually, and it was during your, your visit on our show not too long ago. And that is give people who are dealing with loss the benefit of changing their mind. They may decide today they wanna to see you tomorrow for dinner. They may decide tomorrow at four, they're not up for it. They may cancel, they may make other plans, meet them where they are, give them some grace and some, and some latitude to you know, change their mind because grief hits us all in different ways at different times and takes a toll on people differently. And being around people may be a good thing for their grief one day, and it may not be a good thing the next. So I learned that in, in, in great part from you. Wow. That is a full circle moment then. And I think. Did it, you not say that?
0: Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did say yeah. that. Yes. Well, thank you very much. So yeah. thank you for opening your heart. And I mean, really being being open with your story and, and your journey It's going to help a lot of people. And uh, I just am indebted to you. Thank you so much,
1: my friend. Well, I was able to do it because you've created this platform where you make people feel like it's okay.
0: Thank you for listening to the Graduating Grief podcast. For more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.SherryDunlevy.com.
1: If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.